Today is February 12th, 2017. The title of today's sermon is Step It Up. Step It Up. Everybody say, Step It Up. up. Turn to James chapter 1. We're going to turn to James chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 22. Just like we've, uh, Pastor Eric has said it for years, you can't build a church on the generosity of a few, but on the sacrifices of all. It is, it is, we are a body of Christ and we each have a part to play and I love this kind of a worship service. I, I'm like, Lord, it, what it feels like to me is we had the altar call before we got to the message. That's what it felt like to me today. I'm like, amen. We, we, we kind of took care of our hearts So it must mean that this word for us is going to look back on some of the things that were prophesied. It's going to encourage us to put into practice exactly what we just heard from the Lord. Thank you, Baj, by the way, for a prophecy in tongues, an admonishment, a scripture. Guys, this is is what this is about. This is an incredible, incredible time. In James chapter 1, it says this. We're going to start in verse 22. Are you there? says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. If you just listen, if that is the height of what you do as a believer, then you're actually walking in deception. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be what? Blessed in whatever he does. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. Now, I've heard this example many times in my life. I've heard this passage before, as have you. And even in commentaries that are written... You can study out commentaries. You know what they'll say about this passage? The common thought is is about you getting ready for a work day. You getting ready somehow for the day. And so you look at a mirror and you evaluate what's going on. But then immediately the implication is is you haven't done what's necessary. You haven't done what's necessary. You saw yourself in a certain condition and then did nothing about it. Now, if we could all be as, as, uh, as adept at dressing as somebody like Curtis Carter... I want to stay away from a mirror when I'm around Curtis Carter because it reminds, I see, I see the disparity between Brother Curtis and me. And so it, may, it bothers me. But as, as we're going through, the, obviously this, that is an appropriate understanding to have. But as I was thinking about this morning, how could we not be talking and reflecting back to the tabernacle? As we're saying, I look at our face in the mirror. Joy, can you put up the second slide there? This is a very familiar slide to us here at this church. We're looking at the setting up of the tabernacle, the outer courts here, where the bronze altar, where you offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then the bronze labor, what is that? That was made from the mirrors of the women of Israel. They constructed, they took all the mirrors and they made this big labor, this big bowl that had enough water in there so that what you would do is after you offered your sacrifice to the Lord, there was this cleansing. As a mirror, as water reflects a man, so a man's heart reflects him. Right? 
We see, we see ourselves in what the Word of God does. We're supposed to go there and see a cleansing that's supposed to go on as we walk. And then we can get into the table of showbread, His Word, His Spirit, and prayer as we're entering in the Holy of Holies. Our time in worship today progressed us from the courts, from the gates of praise right there in the east where that arrow is, bronze altar. Hey, we've got to get our lives right here today. We've got to take care of the sin. You can't walk in here with sin and expect God to move in your life. There's a cleansing that says now that we've been forgiven, Lord, we want to be cleansed in your presence. We want to be washed with your word and washed in your presence. We heard the word of God during our, during our worship time. Scriptures that continually came forth. We felt the light of his presence. We saw the light of his presence there. As we were offering up prayers, it became, it went up like incense. Can you feel it different parts of a worship service? Could you feel it today? Yes. You're, sometimes you have to kind of press in. Today there were certain spots where we were getting there. We were going and it felt, I thought Pastor Matt did an exceptional job of leading today. He always does this. This is not a surprise to any of us, but this was exceptional. Going, hey, we're going and this is good. Wow, we feel God's presence. Amen. But there was a, we didn't push all the way in. And it was because we were trying to deal with these things. The words that came forth. Stop being afraid. Did you hear the progression? I'm trying to remind you of what you just heard, right? I know that I'm making, <laughs> I'm asking a lot of questions here. But it's because I'm trying to tie what we just experienced into what this word is. Amen. The issues that our church is having right now are not because we don't get enough good teaching. That's not our problem. What is our problem if it, is, if it is, is the fact that we have to learn how to implement the vast amount of things that we're getting taught. Amen? Amen. Anybody feel that way but me? Yes. I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm talking with you guys as we're going throughout the day, as we're going throughout the week. Most of my discussions are reminding you of what you already know and showing you how to put it into practice. There's no secret. Whatever the content of, the, of our time together is, that's what we do. That's the season that we're in right now. It matters to me that we don't just have an understanding of what the tabernacle looks like, but that we can actually understand its place in our lives. That we can actually, when we walk through a worship service that just took us from the outer courts, we walked in, there was a sacrifice that was required, a cleansing that was required, His Word, His Spirit, and our prayers began to rise before Him as incense. And He allowed us, He tore the veil and allowed us to be in His holy place where He was speaking to us. Through men, through women, through children, through young, through not as young. The Lord is doing exactly what we see here. Back in James. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. Can you imagine getting through? Uh, Joy, you can go ahead and leave up the picture just for a minute. I'm sorry, I should have told you that before. Can you imagine getting to the bronze altar watching a sacrifice being made? This takes time. It takes effort. You have to watch the priest as they slaughter an animal there and sprinkle the blood on the side. And then you're there at the bronze. You've just seen that. You're designed to get clean there. You're standing there. You've seen a reflection as the water is still. You've troubled the waters with your own life to see and to get that dirt off of you. And then in that moment of, of cleansing, then you walk away. You don't keep progressing. You just turn and walk away and forget everything that you just saw. <laughs> what a terrible place for us to be. 
The goal is, is that once we leave a place like today, what are we going to do today? Are you going to leave the service today and immediately forget what we actually look like? I actually mean it in, in a good kind of way. For some of us here, you need to be reminded that God is for you, that He is a good God, that He just cleansed you, that He just filled you, that He just encouraged you. You can't walk away and feel something different than what the Spirit of God just spoke to us. You can't do it. Or you're like the man who saw his face in the mirror and then turned around and walked away from it. This is, this is the great part of Scripture. If you're hard-hearted, it shows because you're going to walk away and not want to change who you are. If you're broken-hearted, you're going, to want to, you're going to need to remember what the Lord just told you so that you don't walk away and feel broken because He is making you whole. Amen? So as you continue to walk through this, James says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forget, forgets what he looks like. Verse 25, but, but the man who looks intently, everybody say intently. intently. You know what that word is? When you're looking in the Greek, the idea is you're going to look intently on something, you're actually going to stop. You're going to, it, it actually implies that you're going to bend over, that you're going to consider it, that you're going to investigate it, that you're really going to start taking it in and going over every detail of this. It's actually the same word that talks about when Mary and the disciples got there to the tomb. They had to, they had to look intently into what was going on. What we're asking you to do as a church is not just hear another sermon but to start looking intently and how, Lord, how do I make, I hear you, Lord. I, that I know that your word is true. I know that, that all your ways are just, that you are perfect. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to do this, though. When I hear that I can trust in you in all things, the truth is that I'm not sure how to do that here, right here in this position. I know you're true. I know you're right, but I just don't know how to do it yet, Lord. I'm starting to look intently into it, Lord. Would you, would you help me? Would you reveal it to me? So that these things that we're learning are not just about a job. Some, I mean, not just our church and we separate our church life from our job life. Or we separate what we're learning on a foundation on Monday night from how we're raising our kids. We live in a society that says it's okay to be completely disjunct. You have little silos of information that you have. That's not the way that this is supposed to work. We're supposed to look intently. Why? Why do you look intently? So that you can put it into practice. This is in context of being a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Are you being a doer of the word in every area of your life? We can check off the ones that we're doing, right? That's first comes to mind. Oh, pastor, I'm doing the word. Amen. Are you doing it in every area? Have you looked intently on how to handle your finances rightly so that it glorifies God? Have you looked at it so that, that how you're raising your kids is a glory to God? Have you looked at it intently enough for you to know how to operate in a job setting that is completely non-spiritual, non-Christ-like, and you know how to be the light to, in the darkness? Do you know how to do that? Have you, are you looking intently into this? This is what we're supposed to be here for as a body. This is what we're doing together. We're going to look like this man who does it he looks intently into the perfect law. Everybody say perfect law. perfect law. What a beautiful concept. The perfect law that does what? It gives freedom. 
The perfect law, when we do this exactly what the Lord is prescribing, it is not a bondage to us, rather it's a freedom. We can trust in Him and continues to do this. Somebody say continue. continue. Amen. You got it right one time. Praise God. You are not yet a professional at what you're doing. I fixed a car one time. One time. <laughs> Worked really hard. Got some things wrong, but I kind of, kind of got it right. Well, that doesn't make me a mechanic. I just got it right one time. If I continue to do something like this, then it starts defining who I am. When you have victory today, praise God for that victory. I'm not trying to lessen the victory today. I'm trying to say, praise God, do it again tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. Well, that, that just, that, that's not nearly as fun to do that. That's not nearly as exciting because I want to go ahead and get it right today and then get completely blessed for it tomorrow. Yet this is not how this works. We're not going to be able to walk in instant gratification and please the Lord. We're going to have to learn how to make the right sacrifices to Him. Man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. I love that phrase. And continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard. Um, I don't have to ask you whether anyone has ever told you something and you forgot it. Has anyone ever told you their name and you forgot their name like before it came out of their mouth? Like, hey man, how you doing? Oh, it's Samantha. And hi, my name is, and you went, bam! I was like, oh, you just said it to me. Can I replay that in my head? Right? Your wife asks you to do something. Gone. You're like, hey, man, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, honey, I got you. Gone. Didn't even make it into the file folder for you to later remember that you didn't do something. Just gone. I mean, that just happens. I've just heard of these things happening. Not forgetting what you've heard. You know what happens when you really forget? The truth is, is you didn't value it. When I forget someone's name who just introduced themselves to me, you know why? It's because I was trying to figure out what I was about to say. I was distracted and I was still thinking on something and a person is right in front of me and I'm not there. What I'm actually saying, and this is embarrassing to say, I'm really saying, I don't really care who you are. In that moment, I may have to repent and say, wait, tell me again. I want to get this right. Tell me again. When you forget what the Lord is telling you, you're saying that you don't care about what he just said to you. Pastor, the, Lord, the Lord's told me this great thing. All right, are you working on that? Have you put that up somewhere? Someone gave you a prophecy. Uh, as a matter of fact, we ha- I, I, don't, I lost count today. I, I didn't try to count, but I have no idea. Tons. Can you remember what the Lord just told us 15 minutes ago? We are a forgetful people. He just spoke to us. Hey, man, are you going to take away? Praise God. God spoke to me. It was great. Pastor Matt led an incredible worship service. Amen. What did the Lord say to you? If you gave a word, that should have made that should have made an impression on you. If you're in here and there was a specific word that pierced your heart, you better remember that. You better make sure that you're not a forgetful hearer. As a parent, there's nothing more frustrating than telling a kid to do something. Oh, I'll do it. Go do it now. 
Because the longer you wait, the more likely it is to not happen. Not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. This is the right kind of blessing talk to have. You're blessed because you're doing what he told you to do. This is not just seeking after the blessing. We're seeking after doing what he told us to do. How are we doing on that, church? How are you doing in your everyday life? Finances, family, your own personal walk with the Lord, how you're interacting with other believers, your faithfulness in what God has told you. How are you doing? And this comes after a time where I'm extremely proud of us. That was a fantastic service. Are we going to keep doing it, though? Praise God, we did one really, really fantastic service. Praise God. I'm not making any less of that. Can we do it next time? Can we do it when pastors and elders are in other countries? I know we can. I know we can. And it matters to me just as much how you live outside of the service as much as you live inside the service. This church is like any, uh, unlike any other that I've ever been in because... The easiest part of what we do are the services. (laughs) This is easy. I love this. This is fantastic. We're going to get done here in a little while. We're going to have a little more worship. God's with us. He's speaking to us. How can you not like this part? Our church is built more outside of the pulpit time than we are based on please come and hear us speak to you once a week. Our whole, our whole church is built on come live where we live. Come do what we do. You see our frailty? You know that we don't get everything right? You know that. You see us. You, you see us in our own homes. Are you doing what you're supposed to do every single day? As I was thinking about that, how we're supposed to have... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to borrow from Randy. I'm going to try to do what she did here in, the, in, the, in her word there. We need to have our deeds over our creeds, our actions over our profession. I'm not against your creed. It just has to be surpassed by your deeds. I, I'm not knocking your profession of faith. What I'm saying is your action should prove it out more than the profession. It made me think of how to, how to offer as we step up to make right sacrifices before the Lord. On the next slide, on slide three, <laughs> we have a korban. This should be a familiar term to us. The passage that Elisha read from, the excuse that the Pharisees were making is instead of taking care of their parents, which is one of the initial Ten Commandments, it was supposed to take priority in their life to honor your father and your mother. What happened was is they were saying, oh, no, 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 this amount of money... I can't take care of my parents because I've set up a korban. It actually uses that word in the Newer Testament. I've dedicated this to the Lord. Therefore, my korban takes care of my responsibility to honor my father and the mother. And, and, And Jesus was saying, are you out of your minds? You've missed the whole point. You think that you can make an excuse that you're going to do something for the Lord and that get you off the hook from what he's already told you to do? You can't bring your own korban to the Lord and not do what He's already told you to do. It's almost like obedience is better than sacrifice. It tripped up the Pharisees of their day. It trips trips us up too. 
instead of being able to step it up and do exactly what the Lord says, well, I'm going to do this. Really? Have you gotten the basics down? Have you gotten the basics where you are just, you're just every day, every day, what defines your life is a righteous standard. What defines your life is holy speech. What defines your life is the word and the power of God. Is that what's defining your life? Or have we allowed things, religious things that sound good and look good to other people, but it's actually keeping us from doing what the Lord has told us? A korban. It's an offering or it's a gift. But you know what the point of the korban was? Was to draw near to God. Let me just read you something, an excerpt from something I found this morning. And this is in regards to Korban, a gift to draw near to the Lord. There were the overwhelming majority of other purposes for bringing Korban. And the expiatory effect, the effect that would take care of your sins and put you in a right standing with God. The expiatory effect is often incidental. In other words, the point of bringing Korban was not to heal you from your sinful ways. It was actually not to make up for the sin. A wrong thinking in Christianity is that the Jews said if you sinned, then you had to go and give and bring a sacrifice to take care of that sin. Actually, that's not what a korban was really about. That may have been part of it, a benefit, but the idea was that you need to get close to God. Let us help you get close to God. If there were some sins that were committed, they were actually trying to make sure that you didn't walk into the temple unclean and therefore separate yourself from God. The point was to draw near. Corbana brought purely for the purpose of communing with God and becoming closer to Him. Also, they were brought for the purpose of expressing thanks, gratitude, and love to God. When we talk about bringing a gift before the Lord, we can do the next slide. You have seen this before. The Corban in the top left. It's Hebrew 7133. It's that something is brought near. It's a gift unto the Lord. I'm just going to walk through this. There are other messages, there are other sermons that you can get a hold of that will explain this more in depth. Each of these steps, everybody say, step it up. Each of these steps are actually out of one of the early chapters in Leviticus. Leviticus 1 talks about an Ola. When you come to Korban before the Lord and you bring an Ola, the word Ola means steps. Everybody say, step it up. Ascending up in smoke. It's a burnt offering to the Lord. The idea there was you're going to lay it on the altar and you're going to watch this be consumed, just like our prayer. Right? We see this in the tabernacle. Our prayers go up as what? As incense before Him. This is a smoke rising up to the Lord. In chapter 2, we find out the mincha, a bloodless voluntary tribute, a grain offering, other types of offering to the Lord. This was not where an animal was going to get killed. This is just... A voluntary tribute. So when we ola, what happens? We say, Lord, you can have my hopes. You can have my dreams. It's like they go up in smoke before you. Lord, consume them and consume me on the altar. Lord, let this go up. What I thought was tangible is nothing. It's like a vapor before you, Lord, and I give it all to you. Everything that I thought that I wanted to do, everything that I was hoping that I could do, Lord, I'm giving it up to you freely. I put it on the altar now. May you consume it with the fire of your presence. And we let it rise to him. And it's a pleasing smell to him. Well, then, if we've done that on step one, 
How do we step it up from there? We have a voluntary, a bloodless voluntary tribute. What about the things? Now, now we've got this concept, right? The concept of our lives. We're giving our lives fully to Christ. Amen. What about those things, though? Do you have something that you possess that you're like, it's not necessarily the most expensive thing that you have, but there's some things that are just special. Anybody ever had the Lord just require you to give something away that you're like, oh, my goodness. If he has not yet done that to you, he will, because I'm going to ask him to do it. So that these are not just words, hola, well, amen, my life goes up in smoke before you. Oh, yes, conceptual, right? Amen. What about when you have to start giving away things that you actually like? What about, what about when you give away things that, that have sentimental value? What if you give away your ruffles, Curtis? Or your, uh, what about even the ruffles, right? I'm, I'm, just, I'm picking on, on Curtis. It doesn't matter the expense of what it is. It matters how much you are attached to it. Can you give up those things when the Lord requires of you? Oh, pastor, yeah. I mean, I would. Um, you're, but inside you're going, oh, please don't make me give that up. Whatever you just thought of now while I was just talking about this, that thing that you're like, oh. Yeah, that, that's the thing I'm talking about. The truck, the computer, the pocket knife. The guitar, the shirt. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter what the thing is. Can you give it up to him as a bloodless, voluntary tribute? Lord, I don't want anything to have a hold of me. I'm going to step it up. I've already said that you can have everything. And now that you're actually going to require this of me, I'm going to step it up. I'll be glad to give that away, Lord. I'll be glad to put that in. And sometimes it's, it's harder to keep it or to let someone else use it. What, what happens if you give your guitar away and, and, and they're not using it the way that you would use it? I can assure you that's pretty much going to be the way it is. You're going to give something to somebody because you felt like it was valuable and you felt like the Lord spoke it to you, a watch, a, a knife, a, a guitar, a car, whatever it is, and you're going to give it away and they're going to be like, eh. <laughs> that's awesome. What are you doing? Yeah, but you gave it away. Did you really give it away? Did you really have everything that you are up in smoke before him? Or is there more of you that's being seen there than you even care to admit? Come on, we got to step it up, guys. We got to step it up. How about we start practicing these things daily and weekly? So if the Lord calls you to go to Turkey one day or go wherever that you're supposed to go, you go, I've died a long time ago. Lord, I'm going to give it all away. As a matter of fact, I'm going to practice giving it away. I'm going to just practice. I'm going to practice giving away. Why? Because I want to give a bloodless, voluntary tribute to the Lord. Lord, if this blesses them, fantastic. If it doesn't, I want you to see, Lord, that I'm just giving away because I want to give it away. Because I want you to see what my heart is. The third level, the third step, this is in Leviticus 3, is a shalem offering. Looks very close to shalom right? The derivatives of the same word, a thanksgiving, a peace, our fellowship offering. You know what happens when you let your life go up in smoke, all your dreams, all your hope, all your directions, it goes up in smoke. You know what the next thing that you should do is you should start seeing that you're willing to give things away. And you're not, let me, let me rephrase that. I'm sorry. You're not just willing to do it. You actually do it. 
as believers, we cannot let our willingness to do something, we cannot let our korban keep us from actually giving it away. I'm willing to do this for you, Lord. Well, amen. Well, then do it. <laughs> Hold on a second. No, if you're willing to do it, well, then do it. That's when, I, that's when the Lord knows that you're actually willing to do it. Lest you're hearing things and not doing them and you're deceiving yourself. I, guys, I think it's the hardest thing in the world to make sure that you walk and not have any areas of deception in your own life. We can call them things like blind spots, like issues. It's all deception. It's, it's leaving the door for sin to creep in. We've got to close that out. Here, once you have that, once you've given away things, you know what you can do? You realize what a great thing it is to have fellowship of the brotherhood. Other believers who are doing the same thing, man, that gives some thanksgiving in your heart. It puts, because your life is now getting in order. It's in shalom. It's in the right order from, from your marriage to your kids to the dog to the fish to whoever you got in your household. Things are falling into order. Your finances are falling in order. Your job is doing what it's supposed to be doing. You can, you can be in fellowship with one another. Actual fellowship. And then what happens, we get to the fourth level in Leviticus 4. We get to the, the hata. This is actually where sin starts coming in. We did the first three, and there was no sin that was even connected to it. I presume that we are all remembering this, but it would be easier and better if I saw some heads nodding in an up and down kind of fashion. <clears throat> we're just now getting to the level where an accidental sin, we're going to start taking care of it. Lord, I, I didn't intend to do that. That... That was not a premeditated, I knew I was going to come out and do something. Lord, that was, a, that was a sin on my part. I walked right into that. There's no way that I should have done that. And, and I caught myself off guard. Well, there's, a, there's something that was gonna, that's trying to lead you astray, and you're willing to make the right sacrifices to do that. Everybody say right sacrifices. In Psalm 4, I believe it's verse 5. Uh, Joy, can you put that up there for just a second? I think it's Psalm 4, 5. It says, offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. What's a right sacrifice? The one that God is requiring of you in that moment. You know what for some of us it is? It's a sacrifice to step out and be bold and do certain things. You know, for, us, for others of us, us not doing something that we would naturally be inclined to do, I'm going to do or I'm going to go do this. Yeah, but what is the Lord requiring of you? Make the right sacrifice. If it's to give up something in this case, then make the right sacrifice. In a very similar situation on another day, he may say, no, don't do that. You have to make the right sacrifice before the Lord. Because if not, then all we do is plug things into a formula and we don't need the actual leading of the Holy Spirit to know what he's wanting us to do. We don't need to hear him and do it because we've already figured out our system. No, you don't need a system. That's not how the kingdom is built. It's not built on better plans. It's built on better men. We don't need another plan to, to evoke something. We need to be better people, and God will use us the way he wants to use us. Joy, back to the slide. And then we get all the way to the asham, the guilt offering. <laughs> what an incredible thing. You can get 60% of the way through this chart 
through these sacrifices before you ever actually start dealing with the, with the sin issue in your life. You know why? Because a korban was designed for you to draw near to the Lord. That's what we should be focusing on. I can assure you, the, uh, the more mature you get in Christ, it's not that you start ignoring sin. It's just that you start focusing more and more on Him. Lord, I just, I'm going to get close to you. I'm going to rid anything that gets me away from you, that keeps me from you, that blocks my understanding, that blocks my heart, that blocks my spirit from you. And you know what? You just, I found in my life that I just focus more and more and more and more on Him. Lord, I just want to be drawn, I just want to draw near to you. Anything else, I'm not saying it doesn't, it's not there. I'm not saying I don't still have things that I need to deal with. What I'm saying is I deal with them quicker because they're just obstacles. I don't feel like they're the giant in front of me. I feel like they're gnats. I'm just trying to get them out of the way. Lord, my focus is becoming more and more intent on what he's doing. And so it's causing me to, it's causing me to respond in a way. I don't sit around all day focusing. This is going to sound weird. I don't, I don't focus all day on sin. I focus on him. Amen. And then when he shows me that there's sin, I immediately deal with it. Immediately. I run to him. I ask him to show me if it's there. But my focus is not on sin all the time. What is your focus on? Is your focus on just trying to conquer sin in your life? We need to get to the point where we have the Spirit of God and the Word of God at work in our lives, like weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Deal with the sin, of course, so that you can be brought near to him. Amen? It's got to be more than just talk. Turn to Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29. And verse 13. Isaiah 29:13 says this. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Wow. People who can say the right things, even have honoring speech unto the Lord, but have hearts that are far from Him. Does that scare you guys? That scares me. That is a sobering thought, maybe is a better way to say it. That is a sobering thought that people can say the right thing, They can give honor to God with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. It's almost like they have a form of godliness, but are denying the power thereof. This is an incredible thing that we have to consider. Continue on in verse 13. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Hey, I don't really want the Holy Spirit. I just want to have my rules in place. Tell me what I can do, Pastor. Tell me if this is okay. Tell me if this is not okay. No. Get in the Word. Let the Lord speak to you. We'll be glad to share principles with you. We'll be glad to direct you to the Word. But what we're not going to do is be the rules in place of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to hear from the Lord. You need to get in the Word and hear what He has to say. This is a good word. You can like it or not. I'm not even worried about it. Yeah, I, don't, I don't need it. It's all right. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 1. Hebrews 10, 1 says this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. God, 
I love that. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never be the same sacrifices repeated endlessly. Year after year, making perfect those who draw near to worship. Can we look at this in context of what we've been talking about here today? Law is a shadow of the good things that are coming. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices. Are you trying to make the same sacrifices and just repeat them? Well, that worked for me before. I gave away a pocket knife. So you know what I'm going to do next time? I'm going to give away the pocket knife. You know why? Because it's my sacrifice to the Lord. He moved upon me in that moment. I felt his spirit. I gave it away. So now that's my thing. That's what I do, is I give away pocket knives to people. I started Pocket Knives Are Us Ministry. ZeroTolerance.com. I mean, you know, you're... Is this not what people do? Okay, let's, let's make it less a uh, diffused responsibility. Have you done that? I've done that. Oh, well, that's, that's what I do to get close to the Lord. So I make the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year. I, I've been saved for 25 years now, and you know what I do? I give my tithes, and that's it. This is all that I can... I figured out this... I, okay, this is right, so I'm just going to do that. You're never stepping it up. There's never something else that the Lord spoke to you. There's never an account that you cleared out that God spoke to you about and you gave it to someone and you didn't let them know that it was you. You did it in secret. You're trying to be like as stealthy as you can be so somebody doesn't know that it was you that gave it to them. Because if I give you the pocket knife, we both know. Let me, let me explain to you, brother, how, how nice this pocket knife is. Let me explain to you, brother, what kind of guitar that I just gave. I mean, I want you to know the full scope of my love. For the Lord, of course. The same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year. I've never found a year in my life where I was allowed to do the exact same thing as the year before and call it that I had grown. I will argue with you if you're doing the exact same thing. I'm saying you're not even, you're not even maintaining. You're just having the self-deception that you're maintaining. Because maybe the Lord spoke it to you then, and now you're not even listening to it anymore. You're just cruise. You're, on, you're trying to get on cruise control. I, I want to make this as formulaic as possible. That's not what draws you near to the Lord. It's never been what draws near. Well, in the Older Testament, no, look. This is Hebrews commenting on the way that the Jews had done it for thousands of years. That's not what does it. Verse 2, if it could, would they, not, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Are you still feeling guilty in areas of your life? Well, then get washed, get clean. Find out what the right sacrifice is and do it so that you don't have to walk around in guilt all the time. Maybe it's because you haven't made the right sacrifice yet and you know it. Well, I've made a sacrifice to the Lord. Yeah, was it what he asked or did you just decide? Did you decide how many Hail Marys it would take for you to make up for that? Well, pastor, I looked on a list over here and it told me that I needed to do this much to... Really? Since when is that going to work with the king of all creation? It doesn't even work with you. 
You know it. Um, but maybe we walk around in it so much that we're allowing ourselves to be deceived by our false korban and missing the whole point of what he said. That God wants to draw near to us. For us to be near to him, we have to step it up. We have to step it up. You cannot do this, not the way that Christ instructs us, without having to step it up. But pastor, I stepped it up two years in a row. Amen. And you probably have to do it for another, however many you are <laughs> while being alive. Don't get to the point where you think you deserve a break in serving the Lord. Amen. Those who walk around thinking that they deserve a break, well, you know, if I compare myself with, uh, you know, with somebody else, shame on me. And you realize that I'm not saying things that people typically say out loud. I'm just trying to get at what you say in your heart. When nobody's looking, we would never, that, I mean, you'd have to be pretty stupid to say something like that out loud. I mean, you really would, especially in church like this. You would get smacked down so quickly. God, our kids would be like, what? And sometimes that's the problem. We can make the same sacrifice, keep it to ourselves, and everybody goes, oh, praise God. No. We're going to step it up. This is a group of people who want to step it up. <clears throat> so that God can make level paths for us. Just a few scriptures. Proverbs chapter 4. Actually, Joy, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Just for time's sake, I want to kind of roll through these re relatively quickly. So can we just put them up on the screen? You guys just write them down. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 26. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. I've been around enough people who never seem like they're on sure footing. Job-wise, home-wise, they always feel like they're walking on a, on, a, on a ship that's in a storm. Always being tossed to and fro. The word of God says make level paths for your feet. How do you do that? We learn how to korban properly. We learn how to get near to him. We learn how to make, make sacrifices that are the right sacrifices that he's requiring of us. Um, Joy, can you go to Proverbs 143 and verse 10? Psalm 143 and verse 10. Did I say proverb then? Well, you guys know what I mean. Proverbs 130, I mean, Psalm 143.10 says this. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Psalm 37, verse 23, says this. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his step firm. We've actually had some amazing sermons on this verse. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. We've actually kind of had our own translation. The original language, it's, it's a little hard to tell who's delighting in whose ways. Is it the Lord delighting? This version has made a choice and gone with it. Another way to say this verse is the Lord orders the steps of his valiant man and the course is one the man has pleasure in. The Lord is going to make your steps firm. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 7. It says this. 
The path of the righteous is level. The path of the righteous is level. Oh, upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth. (laughs) Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There may be torrents that come against you, but you'll at least know that the path is very clear before you. That as you step, it's going to be on solid ground. You know why? Because the righteous one is going to make sure that it's solid ground for you. Even if you walk through the fire and walk through the flame, we don't have to be afraid because he is going to be with us. That's an incredible thought. Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 3, a voice of one calling in the, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There are, there, are, there are several other verses that we can go to, but I want to go, uh, everybody turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 12. It says this, Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. You know what the writer of Hebrews is quoting here? Proverbs 4.26. Exactly where we began. Now turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's start in verse 5. 2 Peter 1 and verse 5 says this, For this very reason, well, What reason is that? Let's back up to verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises. Whose promises are these? His. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Come on, that's the kind of escapism that I want to have. I want to escape the things that are in the world, created by our own evil desires. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort, everybody say every effort, to add to your faith and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, this is not an unusual passage for us. This is a common, uh, a, a familiar passage. It's anything but common. It is a familiar passage. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, almost like you can't give, keep giving the same sacrifices year after year, repeated endlessly, They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The less you have the Spirit of God moving in you, you know what you want to do as a church? You want to find out how to be more and more efficient, effective. You want to find, you want to start running more and more reports. 
If you're a church, that's how you want to do it. You want to you find some tangible way to go, no, we're actually doing better than what, it, what we all know. When you get involved in the denominations, there, you spend endless amounts of time. You have committees on committees to help measure whatever level of success. You have your end-of-the-year video that shows exactly. I mean, we counted how many pinkies went up. We had more people get saved than we have people in the church. What? No, you didn't. Your church didn't grow at all. You shrank. And you're saying all these, what, is the, what do those numbers mean? Oh, you're trying to find out because you're being ineffective and unproductive. So you're going to try to do things. Oh, well, how about we pull it out of churches for just a second? What about in your home? I like spreadsheets probably more than most folks in here. I get a sadistic joy out of pulling a spreadsheet and having everything balance out with all the little right formulas in the right places. So if you're a spreadsheet person, spreadsheeters unite, okay? But what you can't do is do that instead of being effective in your own home. You know how to keep from being ineffective and unproductive? You keep adding to your faith. You keep adding to who you are. You keep building this out so that you will actually be productive. I don't know why people don't come across this in, in other places. If you're actually effective and productive, you don't, have to, you don't have to crunch numbers all the time. You know why? Because it's apparent in your life. There's growth. There's life. There's health. There's movement. There's everything that you need. It's amazing. Verse 9, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. I'm going to come back to that. That struck me this morning while I was studying. While I was studying. Nearsighted and blind. You would think one of those would kind of take care of the other one. If I just said then they're blind, you'd go, okay, they can't see very close either. Okay, we're going to get to that in just a second. You're nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Joy, can you put up the slide there? <laughs> so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to add to our faith goodness. If you actually have a faith in the Lord, you know what you do? You start acting like it. You start having God-like characteristics that are apparent in your life. You know what? After you've had faith and you're adding to goodness, and by the way, faith. Do you ever get done using faith or growing in your faith? No, not if you're an actual real-life Christian. You're going to continue to do these things in an ever-increasing manner. So we're not going to leave one step and then forget about it. We're going to have a basis of this and then move to add to it. And then, we, you know what we're going to do then? We're going to work on growing both of those. So that both of those, both faith and goodness, are in an ever-increasing fashion. And then you know what we add? We add knowledge. You know why we add knowledge there? Because you don't need a ton of knowledge to have faith or to have good deeds. Well, I don't understand the complexities of the just go out and do it. Just be like God. Do what is right. <laughs> love, <laughs> what is it? Uh, oh, oh man, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Really? You do not need a PhD. You don't need it. If you got it, well, praise God. Don't let that get in your way either. You're going to add to your faith goodness. You're going to add to your goodness knowledge. It's important that you get in the Word and then you start studying these things out. 
To your knowledge, you're going to add self-control. Everybody say self-control. You're going to add patience to what's going on. Are you known as a patient person? Are you a ready, aim, fire kind of person? Some of y'all are ready, fire, aim. Some of you are ready, aim, 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 ready, ready, aim for you. It's, it's, it's going to require self-control to actually not wait until you feel like it's 100% there. In, in, in the body of Christ, good. If you're a ready, fire, aim, if you're a ready, fire, aim person, raise your hand. Amen. Just checking. Just checking to see if you have a, a good perspective on yourself. <laughs> so maybe there's, there's no ready, it's just fire. Just fire them all. <laughs> Amen. The body of Christ needs that. Because those, those who are the ready, aim, aim, aim people need somebody around them to go, let's do this. Amen. It's funny, if you're, if you're one, you're probably, you're probably married to the other. It, not, not as a rule, but it's, it would not surprise me. Self-control. The next one, perseverance. You know what the word there is in the Greek? Hupomone. Your great endurance, your perseverance. So we have faith. We're adding goodness to it. We're adding knowledge to it. And then we have to have self-control. Why? Because if you, have, if you don't have self-control, then what you've just worked on, you, you lose the effect. You lose the impact. You're not able to put these things. Now you have knowledge. Hey, by the way, if you've got knowledge, you need self-control. Oh, yeah, because you can get knowledge and go out and blast somebody. Not be at all in the Spirit of God, but you had knowledge, but you lack self-control. Ooh, I learned this thing. I'm going to go do it. Hey, whoa. Take a time out. Ooh, I saw this job offered a good... Stop. Ooh, I could... Whoa. Self-control. And then you have to have perseverance. Why? Because you have to keep having faith. You have to keep having goodness. You have to keep having knowledge. You have to keep having self-control. And you have to do it again and again and again and again so that you can grow in these things. It's like repping a, a certain amount of weight. Back in the day, um, they, if you were joining the NFL, they would have, they would, uh, one of the main sh- sh- tests of strength that they had was to do a bench press. How much can you bench press? And these guys were bench pressing 600 pounds, 700. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? My brother is one of those guys, and he can do, I always kid around with him because he's got a giant, big-chested guy, short arms. So he was one of those guys who can bench press 550, 600 pounds, crazy. I'm like, yeah, man, you're only moving it like that far. What the heck? You just breathe and it moves up. There it was, you know? You know, what, you know what, they quit doing that as the main standard for the strength now. They still have guys who can do that much. But now they do a certain amount. If you're a smaller guy, they do 225 pounds, and they see how many times that you can do it. And if, and if you're a bigger guy, they put you at 315, and they just see how many times you can bench press it. You know why? Great. You're a juggernaut of a human being. You're a gorilla. You can bench press 900 pounds. Fantastic. That doesn't actually translate to what they need in the sport. Because you're not just doing it once. They need you to come back and keep coming back and keep coming back. Play after play after play after play after game after game. They need to know that you can do this for a while. They need to know that you have a little perseverance about you. That you have a little endurance. Now let's not let a secular thing like an NFL 
have a better understanding of what a real mark of Christianity is, great. You can quote that, you know, 17 books of the Bible. Good. Do you have the perseverance to put it into practice day after day after day? Come on. I want that to be the mark of my life. I want to see these things ever increasing in my life, in my kid's life. I want to see them increasing in your life. Perseverance, because after you've done perseverance enough, you know what it look, starts looking like? You actually start looking like a godly person. It, you can't do it from faith. I'm godly. Amen. Well, we're going to believe that, but we've got to kind of keep growing into this where we have actual godliness. And you know what happens again? We're not just focused on you. Immediately, we have faith, and then it turns over into goodness. We've got to start doing things around us. We've got knowledge, and then we need self-control so that we don't hurt people around us. We've got perseverance that produces godliness, and then we immediately go back to a brotherly kindness. What's going on around us? What do you need? How can I help you? How can I die for your vision? And then we wrap this thing up and we see that love is the pinnacle of this. And where each of these is going on in an increasing fashion, an increasing measure. We're nearsighted and blind. Nearsighted. Do you like vision for your family? Are you nearsighted? You can't see what's coming up. You, can't, you don't understand where you're supposed to go. And blind. I was like, Lord, what is this? This is nearsighted and blind. It feels very repetitious here. The word for blind in that passage has as much to do with a fogginess than it does a lack of vision only. It is properly translated as blind. That is true. But as you're reading through it, it means there's a fogginess that's there. I've got a clouded vision and I can't see very far. Oh, that means something completely different. It's not like it's, well, I'm blind. I mean, I'm just, it's just out of my control. No, you've allowed things to get cloudy around you. You haven't cleared the air. You haven't continued to do things. And it shows that you don't have a depth of vision. And you've allowed things to stay cloudy or foggy around you. Anybody ever walked through a day and felt foggy? Come on, prison team. Y'all get here in the morning? Coming in with boldness. Pastor Wade keeps preaching and you're like, oh, foggy, foggy. Come on, brother, standing up in the back. I love it. I'd rather stand it up in the back than getting foggy here. Never, that never happens at this church. You know, we've actually talked about it as pastors. Prison is one of the most amazing things. And if we were just worried about only the service, we would figure out a different way to do it because our strongest disciples are the most tired and foggy when they're sitting in the service. Pastor, we're with you. Amen. Hey, I'd rather you be like this and pushing back darkness in a prison. Hey, this is right. This is good for us to do. And we all know it. Amen. We're going to persevere. <laughs> Amen. Nearsighted and blind. You know what happens if we're not doing these things? In 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 8, it says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he had been cleansed from his past sins. You forgot the korban that Jesus brought when you're not doing these things. You forgot about it. You have forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. 
Come on now. Don't you want to have these things in ever-increasing fashion? It's not just that, that you can check them off on a list. Great. Faith. Fantastic. Goodness. Try to be a good person. No, man, these are ever-increasing. What you understand about goodness today, you should know more about it a year from now. You should know much more about it five years from now. You should be know a world's difference amount in ten years from now, and you keep growing. You keep growing because this is what, this is what Christ has for us. Can you all give me just another few minutes? The idea of Christ's sacrifice, what he brought to the table, is incredible. I'm I'm just going to talk through this part. There will be slides that you can look at later on. I just want to talk through it with you. When I think about forgetting the korban that Christ brought, it made me think about this. Yesterday as I was studying, I found um, in a book called Yeshua, The Pharisees and Their Miracles, And I was reading through it and I was reminded of something that we've taught here at this church before. I'm going to represent it to you over the next few minutes because I think it's where we need to end today. There were four particular miracles that Jesus Christ did that proved that he was the Messiah. There were many miracles that were available. There were many miracles that were done, but there were four specific ones that were messianic miracles. And on the slides, you can look later on when you, when you download the, um, the sermon this week. It talks about those things that the Pharisees would do to verify. They were looking for it. There was a quiet kind of observation. And there was an intense where they would start studying it out and inquiring of people. When you see through the Gospels, you'll see actual examples of the Pharisees and the religious leaders doing things to go. They were there and they were present, but they were talking amongst themselves. And Jesus would say... Hey, do you think this? So you're thinking this, are you? They were doing it quietly just to observe. And then then they would have other examples where they're actually investigating and they're they're questioning the people that the miracles happened to. Well, why are they doing that? It's because they're trying to find out whether he's really the Christ or not. The first example was leprosy. Leprosy. In Leviticus 13 and 14, there were methods... To once a person was healed from leprosy, what they were supposed to do. But you know what? They were not recorded. And from the time the law was given forward, there was not anyone recorded to have been healed from leprosy. Uh, But pastor, what about Naaman? Yeah, Naaman was not a Jew. He was from Syria. Uh, What about Miriam? Happened before the full law was given. There there were different examples, but from that time forward, after that that was laid out in Leviticus, there was not a time where that had happened. So when Jesus came and did it, what did he tell the man with leprosy? Shh. Go present yourselves to the priest. I don't need you to talk about it because this is a miracle and you need to go do it the right way. Here's the deal with leprosy. Leprosy, you had to be healed and you had to be cleansed. If you got healed without being cleansed, you know what it was? You were still separated from everybody else. If you were cleansed without being healed, it was only going to be a matter of time before you became unclean again. When Jesus did this, you can find out in Mark chapter 1, in Mark chapter 2, and in different places where Jesus was talking to him, they were going, the people around were going, is this the son of David? 
We've never seen this before. What is this? The second miracle was a miracle, uh, a demon that caused a lack of speech, a demon that caused dumbness. Okay? It was actually not an uncommon practice for the priests, for the uh, Levites, for the Pharisees to cast out demons. That was not a completely unheard of practice. But their practice was is they would walk up and ask the demon his name. And then they could command the demon to come out. That was their process. When Jesus walks up to Legion and says, tell me your name, that was a normal process that everybody understood. But the problem was is if someone was mute... What are you going to do? The person was mute. So when Jesus comes along and heals someone who had been mute by a demonic spirit, he didn't have to call on the name of this demon. He didn't have to inquire. He just cast him out. By the way, we're a type of church, and when you go places, there are demons that we have to cast out. Let's be led of the spirit. There's not a particular formula as much as being spirit-led and casting these things out. Amen? We don't have to have a big, long conversation. We're going to work as long as we need to, but we're going to cast them out because we have the authority, not them. Olivia laid hands on a demonic man in the middle of, of, of the outback in Africa, in the middle of the bush in Africa. She was the alpha predator. Not that guy with seven or eight demons in him. She took care of him. Hey, man. My son was, the boys were busy healing someone off to the side, so they were a little bit busy. Excuse them. So leprosy, cleansed and healed. A, a, a person who had demons who couldn't speak, so Jesus said that, and people were paying incredible attention to this. A person born blind in John chapter 9. Do you remember what it says at the beginning of John chapter 9? The disciples are going, okay, Jesus. Okay, so did this guy sin or did his parents sin? What was Jesus' response? Neither. This is done so that God may be glorified. He's saying, this is done so I can prove that I'm the Messiah. And he comes along and heals the man. What happens after that in John chapter 9? They're looking at him and they're investigating it. We've gone from passive looking at it, them talking amongst themselves as religious leaders, and they moved into investigating it. Come, come, and the, they ask the parents, well, did he really get healed? They're like, uh, he's of age, you ask him. Why? Because they knew they were in the middle of a, of a mess here, so they were like, he is appropriate age, we're stepping out. And the man was like, look, I don't know what to tell you. I was blind and now I can see. I don't know, I don't know what you want me to do here. I'm just telling you and you guys keep at He was getting interrogated by them. And then lastly was to raise someone from the dead. Turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I'm trying to bring this to your attention. Some of you could have, could have easily taught this from memory. For most of us, I figure it's something that we need to be reminded of. John chapter 11, and let's start in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I love you, 
I'll get to you a little bit later. Let's look at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. You know why that's an important piece of the story? Because for a messianic miracle to happen, the Jews' culture, the Jewish culture believed that a spirit could hang around and hover around a body for three days. So there could be some type of potential resuscitation that would go on after three days. So how long did Jesus wait? Yeah, I don't need the three days. We're going to go ahead and do this so that the Lord can be glorified. Turn to verse 49. John eleven forty nine 49 says this, Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. Yeah, this is, this is not a... a if you were going to try to build this story, you wouldn't have, you, the Jews would not have wanted this part to get out. right? But this truth that we see here, he actually prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the whole nation. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God. To bring them together and make them one. Wow. We are here because of this verse. Because of the korban that Jesus brought the fact that he stepped it up and did exactly what he was supposed to. Look at verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. <laughs> he raises someone from the dead, and they realize that he's completed the grand slam of messianic miracles here. He's completed the four that he needed to, and they decided instead of receiving him, that they were going to be blinded in their ways. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And then we'll close. What do the messianic miracles have to do with us today? If you, if you go back and look at these four miracles, one where someone had to be healed and cleansed, one that was not only troubled by a demon, but could not speak. One that was blind and could not see, and one that was dead and had to be raised. <laughs> this is exactly our state. This is the same type of messianic miracles that we need in each of our lives. We've got to be raised from the dead. We've got to have the Lord come in and cleanse and heal us. Either one, it can't be an either or, it has to be a both and. I need more than just cleansing. I need to be healed so that I can stay clean before Him. I don't need a... Pardon the expression. I don't need a spirit of dumbness. I need to be able to speak what God has to speak. I need to be able to see what God has for us to see. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 15 says this. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. <laughs> this is the way you're going to think if you're mature. If you don't yet think this, it's okay. God will work on you. Only let us live up 
to what we have already attained. Let us live up to what we have already attained. This church is an Acts. This church is a book of Acts kind of church. Prophecies, words of knowledge, healings, moving of the Spirit, people being sent out, people being raised up. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Sets the bar very, very high for us. Joy, would you put up just uh, on the screen um, Lamentations 2, 19? Arise, cry out in the night. As the watches of the night begin, pour out your heart like water. Wow. Your heart like water is actually something that is prophesied in Psalm 22 as well. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to Him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. This passage reminded me, as we're supposed to live up to what we've already attained, I just thought of this passage. Arise, cry out in the night. Come on, when's the last time you lost a little sleep because you were crying out in the night? When was the last time you got up early just to say, oh Lord, I need to be with you more? Whatever it... Not the same endless sacrifice made repeatedly year after year and day after day. But that's something special that the Lord is requiring of you. Lord, we have finances that we need. Lord, we have direction that we've got to have. Guys, it's time for us to step up. So that in an ever-increasing manner, these characteristics of Christ are seen in our lives. Would you stand with me?